Hello friends. Glad to be able to be with you all uh, for the message for this week as we reflect uh, on Jesus together, even though uh, we're not all physically together. So whenever you're watching this, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, uh, glad to be on the same journey as we're a bit more scattered during these weeks leading up to Advent. So we've been having this conversation called Inside, reflecting on the, the deep ways that Jesus transforms us. And so we're going to talk a little bit about maturity today and how we, how we look at that whole subject. And so I don't know if you, like I can, can think back to uh, some moment in the past weeks, past months, even past years, where you've watched somebody on television, you've watched a press conference, you've watched someone's stunt, you've watched some way that someone has acted, and you've said, man, can you please just grow up? Like, you're an adult. Can you act like one? Right? I don't know if you've found yourself saying that or thinking that in any cases these days. I know I have uh, and, and think so regularly. And it's often true. But I've noticed that I'm, I'm really, really quick to tell people in my mind, you know, to, to, to grow up or, or to act like uh, adults. But the reality for many of us is that if we're really honest in the journey of discipleship, we're, we're far from being spiritual and emotional adults. And, uh, and we may need to turn the same questions and statements that we often project onto others uh, on, onto ourselves. So we're going to look with, with Jesus uh, toward that for a few minutes today. Uh, my boys just turned 12 this week, my twin sons. And, uh, and this is this really strange in-between age uh, because sometimes without even catching it myself, I expect them to understand life from an adult perspective and, uh, and, and what it means to be adults. I expect that they're always supposed to get it from, um, from cleaning up to helping out to not getting into stupid arguments, right? To, um, to wearing shoes when they get into the car. All right, that one's, that one's valid probably. But, but uh, that one notwithstanding, you know, I, I find myself expecting complete um, adult maturity from them sometimes because they are getting older. And sometimes it's unrealistic and I have to remind myself that they need me to help them walk through that process. On the flip side, sometimes I find myself treating them like they're children, uh, like, like young children, like they can't handle real tasks um, or, or uh, real in-depth conversations, right? And I sell them short uh, and, and I don't treat them with the maturity that I know that they can attain to uh, at this stage in their lives. So I have, as, a, as the dad, I have this journey of kind of learning what it looks like to help them mature and to keep them moving along. And it's a challenge. If we allow ourselves, Jesus does the exact same thing with, with us. Jesus offers us grace in the journey of, of growing up. Uh, but, but the temptation in the challenging times is either to think that we're there already, which is a ton of arrogance, you know, like I, I have matured as a Christian and, and I've kind of arrived. And even though none of us would ever admit that, many of us act like it. Uh, or, or second, um, on the flip side, we know we haven't arrived but we know the really, really difficult work that is a part of growing up in Jesus as a disciple, and, and we just don't want to do it because it's too hard. So I want to briefly explore three scriptures that point us to various um, areas that disciples of Jesus are called to keep growing up. All right, so three different scriptures that kind of speak to three different sub-ideas sub of what it means to, to grow up. Uh, in, in Jesus during this time. And it was a much needed encouragement for the early church, uh, without a doubt, and it's a needed encouragement right now. And I'm guessing that you're gonna be able to make uh, connections today, or to today, to our world today, uh, without me even needing to connect all the dots uh, 
so thank goodness for God's grace because these uh, likely are going to sting a little bit as we as we look into them uh, and and the words. So we're going to start with Hebrews uh, chapter six. Okay, and so uh, the writer of Hebrews writing to um, to Christ followers spread out, but um, who had a strong Jewish background, okay, and we're, and we're in various locations trying to live out the gospel in this new way, still though steeped in their own Judaism and their own religious experience. And, uh, and so here's what the writer of Hebrew writes in chapter 6. He says, so, and he, he's about to talk about maturity. You'll see it. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead to become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. So the first statement he makes is, hey, let's be honest and say that sometimes you are getting caught up in the basics of faith kind of the fundamentals of belief and everything like that. And that is kind of where your faith is holding. It's staying there. It's staying in your doctrine. It's staying in, your, in, in the statement of beliefs. And so he continues on and he talks about people who have turned away um, knowing who Jesus is. And then he says, it's as if they're crucifying Jesus over and over again. And he kind of has this little diatribe of saying, that's not how it ought to be. And then he comes back to it here in verse nine. And so, so in verse nine, uh, he says, dear friends, even though we're talking this way, meaning about people who have rejected Jesus, he said, we really don't believe it applies to you. We are confident that you are meant for better things, the things that come with salvation, the things that come from rescue. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you do still. Okay, this is the point now that we need to pay really close attention because at the beginning, he talks about what it means to continue to grow up and become mature. And here he explains what he means by mature. And he says this, our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts. <laughs> what a great statement. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Now that statement about making certain what you hope for will come true. The writer of Hebrews here is saying, listen, you've got your belief system down, but you're cycling through that over and over again instead of continuing to grow toward the ultimate goal in that you won't just believe in Jesus, but your love will reflect Jesus in every facet of your life. And as you do that, two things will happen to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Number one, when you do that, you will keep this relationship with Jesus, this, this hope of life with God forever. And number two, you will be building the kingdom, that which you hope for, God's kingdom coming in fullness. It will happen when you love others as long as life lasts. Simple but profound. And then in verse 12, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. I love that. We often think of spiritual dullness as kind of not caring about God, but the command to care and love God and love others is so deeply intertwined that if we're not loving others as long as life lasts in every single way, then what's going to happen is that we will become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. 
Okay, so what we're talking about in this first passage from Hebrews, the shift of maturity, the movement that, that God calls us to, is moving from a statement of beliefs into the long-term actions of love. Moving from a statement of beliefs that defines our faith into the long-term actions of the love that those beliefs profess. Again, this is really fundamental stuff. But often what we end up doing in our own lives is we end up um, adhering to our belief system and our religion and our spirituality. And we, we find it so much in this world of, I believe that God is love. I believe blank, blank, blank. But we don't actually get to the point to doing it in fullness. So we say it a lot and we do it a little. And that's immaturity. Uh, the Pharisees were so committed. We need to remember this. The Pharisees were so committed to God as their Lord. Their primary problem, actually their main problem, was they were so committed to God as Lord, but they didn't love people well. They held their faith over top of people. They condemned other people for not having, um, not being good enough for, their, for things not matching and every time. They missed the absolute centrality of God's love for people. Now, now here's where it gets hairy because every one of us would confess that God is love and that the call to love is really important. Uh, there's a story in the Brothers Karamazov where... Um, where this, this young lady is considering the, the world of becoming a, pre, or becoming a, um, a nun or, or giving her life to the Lord, but then she thought about all the work that she may do that others may not be grateful to her for as she would care for the poor. Some would be um, ungrateful. Some might, might complain, and she just didn't think that she could handle that. And so a wise monk who is speaking to her says this quote, Love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams. Love in practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love in dreams or in dream. I would suggest that the same idea uh, holds true for many of us today. This, this longing to love is so good in our, in our dreams. It's so, it's so noble, it's so beautiful, but loving people that are difficult to love caring about people long-term and consistently, um, that's often very painful. It's often dreadfully difficult. Uh, and and I, I think it kind of matches up with Dietrich Bonhoeffer's quote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, uh, you will kill the opportunity for real community if you have a vision of community that doesn't include loving the people right in front of you. So if you have this ideal vision of community, oh, it's so great, people being in relationship, it's so wonderful, and, and we're just gonna have all this perfect togetherness all the time, but you don't actually learn to love the people right in front of you, so it's just an idea in your head, you'll actually destroy the opportunity for any real community to get developed. And so we must understand this, this first idea that, that to grow up in Jesus, we have to move from a statement of beliefs into the long-term actions of love, putting others first, actively serving and caring, moving beyond our words and into a lifestyle as long as we live, like the writer of Hebrews says. Okay, let's continue to the, the second passage, uh, which moves us to an even more kind of relational look at, at growing up, okay? So we're looking at the next stage of, or another stage of growing up, and this is from 1 Corinthians chapter three. And let me put it up here for you. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Brothers and sisters, oh, this is, this is, this is harsh words. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. 
Look at that maturity language there. He's saying, you're actually not adults in Christ right now, friends. You're acting like infants. I gave you milk, not solid food, he says, uh, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not yet ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? <laughs> for one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? This idea is absolutely brilliant. So, so Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says to them, he says, you know, with, with the way that you're quarreling, you're acting like people. You're jealous, you're quarreling, you're arguing about whose leader's better. You're, you're acting like, like people. And by the way, when I say arguing about whose leader is better, you're going to immediately move to politics. We're talking about leaders within the church at this point, so make of it what you will, but I want to clarify that. Um, but what he says is, you're acting like mere humans. And Paul uses that as a put-down. Why does Paul use that as a put-down? Because in his opinion, and in the theology that we have, and in what Jesus said, when we move into Christ, when we become one with Jesus, when we give our lives over to Jesus as Lord, we become something new, something that's more than simply human. That is, that is a new marriage between the human and the divine, where we begin to take on the attitude and the character of Jesus, and we approach and relate to people differently because we have been given the attitude and the character of Jesus. So he says, listen, you guys are, are spending your time endlessly arguing about who's better, or about who's right, or about what's right, or about which leader um, has the better sermons right? Or about whatever the case might be. And he says, the way you're doing it is you're just acting like mere, mere humans. You're supposed to be something even bigger, something even more beautiful. You're supposed to reflect the beauty of the body of Jesus in your behavior. And so, so anyways, he goes on to this uh, and, and kind of goes on a rabbit trail. And then he comes back um, in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 3. And, and says this, don't deceive yourselves. He starts talking about how much everybody knows. Don't deceive yourselves. If any of you think that you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you might become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. Paul's not telling people to be idiots, but he is saying, listen, sometimes we can get so wrapped up in thinking that what it means to be people of truth is to be right, that we miss reflecting the character of God that we've been given. So he says, so then no more boasting about human leaders. And here's what I think is the most significant in this whole passage. All things are yours. <laughs> Whether Apollos or Paul or Cephas, which is Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. I want you to understand when Paul is writing all are yours here, how that might affect us growing up. Paul's saying, listen, you think that you have to stick within one tribe in every way, and you're acting like it. And yet the whole reality is that God has given you everything. God has given you goodness and beauty from all cultures, from all people. You can even learn things from other religious approaches that are seeking after truth. All is yours. Now, obviously, we, we check everything against the beauty and the character and the truth of Jesus. But, but think about a statement where Paul is saying, listen, you guys are defect. You guys are, are um, kind of 
factioning off into, into tribes, into, into these groups that are kind of fighting with each other constantly, and all things are yours. You can claim anything that's good and beautiful. You don't have to stick in your, in your, your tiny group. Everything in our world right now pushes us to get a smaller and smaller circle of where we belong and what's permitted. It happens in politics, it happens in theology, it happens in, if you live in the country or if you live in the, in the city, uh, it, it happens uh, about education, that, hey, I can only learn from people who are highly educated. Or um, maybe if I'm not as highly educated, then I look at suspicion with anybody that has a degree. It, it, it's amazing how many tribes we have in our world right now. And often Christ followers do not hear Paul's words that it's all yours. You can receive from anywhere and everywhere. And when we realize that, it teaches us something really, really, really beautiful. And that is that this second characteristic. So the first characteristic of growing up was moving from a statement of beliefs into the long-term actions of love. The second uh, element of growing up that we're seeing in the scriptures is moving beyond constant critique and into reconciled humility. Moving beyond constant critique of looking at everybody to try to figure out where the differences is, are and where they're wrong and moving into a people of reconciled humility that understands that I don't have it all figured out and that if we are different, that does not mean that we cannot reconcile, that we don't need to spend all of our time arguing about who is right, that we can continue to journey together with Jesus as much as it depends on us. Um, and, uh, and that doesn't mean, by the way, it doesn't mean this false peace. Uh, it doesn't mean that we just overlook differences or specifically when we have various convictions. It doesn't mean that we, that we ignore them and act like everything's fine when things aren't fine. Not by a long shot. But, but it means that we become courageous in listening. We become courageous in seeking to understand. We become courageous in wanting to learn. We become courageous in forgiving wherever it is possible. Okay? Uh, this is a posture of mature Christian faith, moving from constant critique of everybody and everything that's not the same as whatever tribe I find myself in, and instead moving into reconciled humility, where I am seeking to be one of a global world full of people who bear God's image, and I'm unafraid to learn from anyone and everything that God brings into my path. Uh, this, this connection is really important. In, in The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis, uh, he describes hell as this. He describes hell as a place where each person lives in isolation, millions of miles apart from one another because they can't get along. That's C.S. Lewis's definition of hell in The Great Divorce. A place where each person lives in isolation, millions of miles apart from one another because they can't get along. We can be people of not just constant critique, but of reconciled humility. All right, let's look at the third scripture. Uh, the final scripture that speaks of maturity um, comes just a chapter later in, uh, in well, no, I'm sorry, not just a chapter later, um, a letter later in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. And so here's, here's what we read in 2 Corinthians 4. Again, Paul is writing, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This treasure, by the way, is the Spirit of God, the gift of God, in jars of clay, our own human frail bodies, our frail minds, our limitedness, 
God's goodness in the midst of our broken and finiteness. Okay? So we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And then he's honest with them about the struggle they've been having lately. So we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Do you see that he keeps balancing these things? Yes, there's struggle, but it's not the end of the story. Yes, there's frustration, but it's not the end of the story. Yes, we feel beat down, but we know we're not alone. Okay? And he ends it, this statement with, with this sentence. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. The third concept behind uh, growing up that we see in the scriptures just for today is that Christian maturity means moving beyond the despair-joy dichotomy. Uh, maturity means learning to walk with disappointment. Uh, you, you can live within disappointment uh, without giving in to disappointment. You can live within disappointment without giving in to disappointment. This, this year, 2020, has, has been such a year full of disappointments because so many of them have been stacked on each other. And so what happens is it's very easy for us to, to give in to just despair and say the world is hopeless, I'm hopeless, I'm never gonna get out of the house, um, everybody's a jerk, <laughs> you know, whatever you wanna say. Uh, and, and, and so therefore joy is impossible. Therefore hope is impossible to access. And a mature, a mature faith, a mature dis discipleship understands that these two things do not have to be held apart, joy and pain are not separate things that can't ever possibly be experienced in the same life. Um, knowing that joy and pain are able to be held together is something that a mature disciple knows because the reality of, of God's world is that the kingdom of God is constantly breaking forth into the broken kingdoms of our world right now. And so the reality of God is, the, the fact that the kingdom of God is here, Jesus said, means that God is accessible even in the midst of a world that doesn't yet look like the kingdom of God. So what that means is it means that we have no other choice but to walk with both pain and hope, frustration and joy at the same time. Um, so so the, the sign of maturity is learning to walk with disappointment and still see beauty, even in other people. My guess is, um, that you're most likely disappointed in someone right now. Uh, maybe a family member that you just don't think gets it, right, on, on any number of levels. And it's so obvious, how is it even possible they could feel that way, right? Uh, maybe it's a friend who's struggling and they said some hurtful things to you uh, because they're dealing with their own stuff right now and life is hard and you're really wounded from that or you're disappointed. And being disappointed in some one or some situation as a mature growing Christian does not mean that there isn't beauty or goodness to be seen and acknowledged in them or in the world around you or in the world around them. God is bigger than this dichotomy that, that we create of either things are good or things are bad. In the midst of the most broken situations, God's goodness can sometimes shine brighter than any other time in the world. By the way, if you can't find someone something good or beautiful about someone, 
the problem is not with them. If you're unable to find anything good or beautiful about someone in your life, by and large, almost never is the problem with them. I'm sure you're gonna try to find, you know, the exception. By and large, the problem is not with them. We have to recalibrate our own spirits and understand that it's possible to walk in disappointment and love, disappointment and hope, disappointment and contentment, all at the same time because God is with us. And that's what is so significant about the passage that Paul writes. We are beat up and he says, we always carry around in our body the death of Christ so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our body. So in, in other words, um, it, Paul is saying experiencing pain and a reminder of Jesus' suffering is one of the things that opens the door to Jesus' resurrection revealing so clearly to the world around us. Uh, because we can have joy and contentment and hope in all situations so that when we walk through the darkest times, when we walk through the times that we are the most discouraged, that's when the life that only God can bring becomes most easily noticed. Does that make sense? Hopefully. Okay, so let's, let's wrap up. I am currently helping uh, to assist our high school cross-country team uh, because the middle school team that I normally am the head coach of, the season was canceled. And so, uh, so I, I enjoy just being able to kind of help out as an assistant and not the, the lead guy right now. Uh, and, and so we meet at State Park in the afternoons and everybody's spread out. They haven't, none of the kids have seen my full face yet because the mask is always on. Um, but, uh, but so at the end of each practice, our head coach will give kind of a, a little chat as everybody's stretching out. So there, he has to raise his voice and speak up because um, the athletes are spread out so much all over the place, distancing and stretching out in a big giant circle. And so uh, one of the things is that this year's team is really young and it doesn't have a lot of experienced runners, a lot of experienced racers. And so this past week, one of the things that, that the head coach said was he, he called out, he said, listen, everybody, you must understand this. In order to become a mature runner, you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. This is the reality. And as a, a lifelong runner and racer myself, I know the truth of this. To be an experienced and good runner, you have to be willing to embrace the discomfort. Uh, you have to be willing to, to, to walk or run into it and with it instead of running away from it or else you will never progress beyond a certain level. So with that in mind, let me just encourage you to resist the temptations of today. The temptations in uh, your own discipleship and in relationships, the temptation of avoidance and the temptations of withdrawal and the, and the temptations of combat. Those are the, the various ways that we often deal with our discomfort, right? Fight or flight. So we, we avoid people, we withdraw from relationships, or we, we enter into them with an attitude of, of combativeness. Um, but that's not the way of maturity in Christ. The way of maturity in Christ is connection and reconciliation and cooperation. It's, it's this slow, long path of love and understanding. And wow, is it hard. Sometimes it's beautiful. Sometimes, like, uh, like the monk said in the Brothers Karamazov, sometimes it's harsh and dreadful, the real way of love. But it's also beautiful and radical. And we can walk in both of those uh, places at the same time. So this week, uh, may you continue to do the interior work that leads to exterior love. 
the interior work with Jesus that leads to the exterior love for Jesus in the world. Uh, may you be transformed by Jesus deep inside in ways that help you move from a statement of belief into long-term actions of love, in a way that help you move from being uh, constantly critical to being a person of reconciled humility and to move beyond the despair-joy dichotomy to be able to walk honestly with disappointment, but also with hope. So may you get comfortable being uncomfortable. Jesus, help us with all of this. It is real hard. We feel immature sometimes, but we know that, uh, that like a loving parent who is patient, but also who is a brilliant and constant example and encouragement, you will continue to mature us in ways that reflect the fullness of your love and care and character in the world. Help us on this way and help us to do it together as best we can. In the name of Jesus, the strong, strong name by which everything is held together, we pray. Amen. Thanks, friends. See you next week.